Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Brands are they're a powerful thing. A good brand is a powerful thing. I mean, um, how do you feel when I say the word McDonald's? <laughs> how do you feel when I say the word Apple? When I say the word Microsoft? When I say the word Enron? Brands are a powerful thing. Brands also come... Uh, with a reputation, a reputation that uh, precedes them, is before them, and a reputation that is after them. And so it's a question, how do you react when you hear the brand Christian? Because if you ask a hundred different people, you get a hundred different answers. A Christian is someone who goes to church on a Sunday. A Christian is someone who turns up at Christmas. A Christian is someone who's the moral elite. A Christian is someone who's those judgmental, homophobic, moralistic, on the edge type people who, if you're not with them, are telling you that you're going to hell. Right? Brands are a powerful thing. And what I want to say to you this morning is you have a brand. You may not be aware of it. You may not want to have one. But particularly if we live the life that we're going to see from Daniel and what we've been talking about the past couple of weeks, if you are visible in your faith, you are going to have a brand. And first and foremost, you need to recognize that that brand will precede you. There is a brand before you. And certainly uh, that's a brand that is all through the newspapers this week as we've seen that Cardinal George Pell has been charged Many of us here think, oh, that's fine. We're Protestants, they're Catholics. It doesn't matter. It won't affect our brand. Come on. My my non-Christian mates don't know the difference between Catholic and Protestant. All they see is another guy and the church. And that's tough. That's why we said is that when you move into your workplace and the unis and home and your social groups this week, when you hit that brand that precedes you, you're going to want to hide. You're going to want to step back from that. You're not going to be visible because of that brand. And in many ways, you and I can't affect that this week. Uh, But there is a part of the brand that we can affect, and that is the brand that follows you, that goes after you. You know, There was a guy called Jeff Bezos. He was the founder of Amazon.com. Here's what he said. He says, your brand really is what people say about you when you have left the room. I like to think of brand that way and I think that is the positive way to think of brand because if there's anything we can affect, it's affecting the way that people think about you when you've left the room. You have a brand. Whether you like it or not, you have a brand and how you live, how you act through your personality, through your views, through your heart. This is why we've been learning what we've been learning. All of that will translate into a brand at the end of the day where something will say something about you and ultimately Christianity when you leave the room. So here's my question for you. What are people saying about you when you've left the room? Are you aware? Daniel's a great example. And we are, we're going to get through this quick this morning. It's been a great big service. Daniel's a great example of what the impressions should be, what Christians and believers should look like when they've left the room. So we're going to look at what, what would people have said about Daniel's brand if you read through all of this book. What ultimately, chapter 6 is the end, towards the end of this whole story of Daniel. He's now 80 years old. He's an old guy. He's not the young-looking, strapping man that he was back in chapter 1. 
and we see here that he's about to be put in charge of many areas of the king's kingdom. And so Daniel is a great example of that reputation that followed him when he left the room. So what was that? Here we see uh, the, the first thing, what could people have said about Daniel when he left the room? The first thing they could have said about him was, he was with us. If you remember, uh, we see that in Jeremiah, uh, God had said to his people, don't get out of the city, don't separate from the city. Verse 4 of Jeremiah chapter 29, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce. So in other words, uh, Daniel is, was the perfect illustration of all of these believers who, who uh, on one hand were sitting out by the edge of the river who wouldn't go into that city and they were saying we're going to create our own government, our own club, our own schools, our own gatherings. Haven't we seen that from Christians over the years? And God says, don't, don't stay out there, go in. Go in, be present. He was with us. I think that's so important. You know, the, a thing called the census came out this week. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this? So the whole no religion section of the census. You hear about that one? <laughs> so apparently it's up to 30%. Up to 30% of the country is saying that uh, they ticked the no religion box. I, I read an article that suggested that back in 1907, that figure of people that said they were Christians in this country was 96%. Now we've got 30 saying that they're no religion. That leaves the rest of the 70 up to the rest of the people of faith. Now, you know, there are a lot of Christians that I think are getting really worried about this. Uh, as a side note, I think it's a great opportunity for us. At least, uh, we, at least we've got, a, at least we've got a, an active market of a lot of potential customers. <laughs> I think that's great news for business as a Christian. Uh, but what's hit me is what I think now it means if you're getting to that level of society that's ticking no religion, that there is every possibility that there are now entire social groups, entire families, entire subgroups of our society that wouldn't even have a Christian as a part of it. And so what it means is we need to get in. How, how many of those different unbelieving relationships do you have around you? Because God says, go in. It may mean that the first step for you is to be the only believer in a person's life this week. It's so important at a practical level. You remember I told a story about my friend Damo. Not anymore through school. And uh, I went overseas to go and get a bit crazy over in Canada. and We're about to go and hit the nightclub. And he says, I don't do that anymore. I said, why not? And he says, I've become a Christian. I'm thinking, great, that's just my luck. Get away from the parents and the church. Want to go to the nightclub? And I run into a Christian. <laughs> and then we're like... Down the track years later, we're sitting in his spa, kicking back, uh, having a beer, having a chat. And he said, Sam, how come you never told me about Jesus? You were the only Christian I knew. How come you never told me about Jesus? Daniel was visible. He was with them. Not only that, he was for them. He loved the city. Look at verse 2 here. It says, the administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable so the king might not suffer loss. Daniel's not only with them, but he's loving the city. Daniel is not only working uh, in the city, but he's working for the city. 
He's working in order to ensure that the king doesn't have loss. So look, first of all, what do they say about Daniel? He was with us and he was for us. Here's the second thing that we see of Daniel's brand when he left the room. What we see is they would have said he's awesome. (laughs) The guy's awesome. Uh, Verse 3, now Daniel so distinguished himself amongst the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. The word exception, exceptional there is a, a bit hard to translate, but it literally meant because of the excellent spirit that was in him. So it meant excelling or surpassing. It probably had to do with his leadership. In other words, Daniel excelled at being excellent. He was very good at being excellent. I call it the voice principle. You know, a couple of years back, there was a, a big conspiracy in the voice even hit the newspapers. The Voice, um, by the way, is the program where people sing. Here's, here's what uh, one writer said. Tuesday night's Voice segment uncovered the Christian contestant conspiracy whereby six of the 24 finalists are supposedly receiving an unfair advantage from their block voting churches. <laughs> Today, tonight, to Dean Cassidy says... Contestants such as Chris Sebastian, Targa Parr, Brittany Cairns, who all worship with Hillsong Church and Baptist Church goer Fatai via Matahu, have an advantage in the competition that relies on their popular vote. Television commentator Chris Bennett says there is talk going around that the likes of Hillsong are training some of their people for these sorts of competitions. (laughs) It's a big money spinner and even if they don't win, they can wind up with incredible careers that benefit the church. Of course, it's, that's what Hillsong's up to, isn't it? Like they're, they're a factory for getting contestants on The Voice. <laughs> um, they excelled at being excellent. Scipione excelled at being excellent. Mike Baird excelled at being excellent. You know, I think a lot of people, if you think about the brand of Christianity, often it can be daggy, <laughs> Right? But there is something beautiful when people see awesome Christians. Now, the great thing about this is there is often a misconception that in order to be an awesome Christian, you have to start with things like a really good voice. And then if you're really good at that, then you graduate to this thing called Bible college. And then if you get to graduate from that, then you get to be a really, really awesome Christian. And that is you get to, get to become a minister, just like Sam. What's wonderful about all of this is that we see in Daniel, he had all of the gifts. He was prophesying, he was interpreting dreams, he was speaking out like a prophet. He had all the gifts of ministry and yet he chose to go into the marketplace. And not only that, remember chapter 1, it said, verse 20, that he was 20 times better than all the other sorcerers in the kingdom. He was not only in the marketplace, he was so good at the unchristian, the unbelieving job that he was doing. So in other words, excel at being excellent. Be awesome. That's what Daniel was about. The world needs Christian CEOs. The world needs Christian premiers. The world needs Christian poets. The world needs Christian artists. The world needs Christian cleaners. The world needs Christian mums. The world needs a whole range of Christians throughout society. And what it means for you is that one of the best ways that you can be A believer for God and a Daniel is not necessarily by graduating to be a minister, but by simply being excellent at what you do. Now, if that's the case, if it's saying that one of the best ways for you to reach the city of Sydney this week is through the work that you're going to do tomorrow, how is that going to change the way that you rock up to your open plan desk at 8.45am tomorrow morning with your coffee? 
How is it going to change the way that you wake up with your three screaming kids thinking that I have no purpose and I don't know what I'm doing and, and I, 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 you know, maybe God's got a plan for me. I'm not sure what's going to happen. Do it excellently. Work excellently. Work excellently. Be awesome. Daniel was awesome and that was the brand that left him. Not only was he awesome, here's the... Here's another part of his brand that they, they would have felt when he left the room. They would have said he was different from us. He was different. He was inexplicable. Verse 4 to 5. And this is where it gets tricky. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. And finally they said, we'll never find a basis for charges against this man unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these guys, Daniel's with them and he's for them. And they really like him. Until when? When do they become hostile? They become hostile from the moment that, that the king gets ready to promote him from being a satrap to a governor. The governors were the ones, the satrap was like a high civil servant and the governor was like being, I don't know, the premier. Until Daniel became Mike Baird. And then they started to turn against him. Why? Probably in the first case, a little bit of just good old-fashioned workplace jealousy. Guy got the promotion, scored fives in all of his performance review, copped a bonus and gets promoted. There's a bit of jealousy there, but actually it's far more nuanced than that. When you read through this, when was it that they really turned hostile? And it was the moment that they realised, hang on, if we can't find any corruption in this guy and he's going to be over the top of us, then he's not really like us because we're taking bribes and we're taking things on the side and we're doing this and doing it. And, and this whole corrupt way of life and society is just how we operate. And yet, hang on, what if the guy who's over the top of us has nothing to do with this? And you see, it was Daniel's character, his integrity, him being the same in every context that suddenly had these guys worried. And the principle is, we've talked about it, the darkness will always push back against the light. And some of you may have already felt this in your own careers, in your own workplaces. When you move to positions of authority or you move to situations in your work in which you know that if you take a stand for God in the way that Daniel did and if people were able to see a character that will not shift, it's going to start to bring a bit of persecution. Daniel was different. He was different because of his character. He was different from us. And then they thought, we've got to do something. We've got to get him taken out. We've got to go run and rat to the king, get him to chuck him in the den. <laughs> He was, he was for us. He was different from us. Here's the last one. He lived for something beyond us. Look at verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he just got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he'd done before. Now, you have to gain some perspective on what this means. Remember, Jerusalem was ransacked. It was dead. It was gone. It was a pile of rocks. Belshazzar had used all of his best on ornaments from the, the temple for his party. You know? So this, is, this is, makes no sense. This city is gone. And so the question is, why would, 
Daniel go out and continue to look to a defeated second-rate city when he had all the trappings of this New York City-esque city around him. He had everything ahead of him. He had all the trappings of this. Why would he keep looking to the pile of rubble at the end of the day? And the answer is that Daniel was serving the human city for the sake of God's city. Daniel lived for something beyond himself. And that's how they knew they could trap him, right? Because he had this gravity in what he lived for beyond himself that they said, there's no way we will get this guy on the basis of character. If we're going to get him, it has to do with something to do with Daniel's God. So it says he goes back, he prays three times a day. That's character. He was living for something beyond himself. What it means for you and I, at the end of the day, if we're going to have a brand that is like Daniel, is that Christians should be weirdly inexplicable. Don't you reckon? Many times we could look arrogant. Many times we could look stupid. Because we're living for something beyond. It means that we choose to take stands on things. It means that we don't get upset when promotions may not necessarily come our way. It may mean that we are rock solid and perhaps even inexplicably joyful in the midst of suffering because we're living for something beyond. And that is always the tension or what gives rise to the tension that we feel as we get ready to finish this morning because doesn't this story, we haven't even got to the den yet, the lion's den yet. And I'm not going to go to the den because we've heard it all in, in Sunday school. I thought it was fascinating about all that got Daniel to the den. The den was just the end result of all that had happened before. The den was just the end result of his brand recognition. But this is, it's, this is a tension that is, has been around for centuries, the tension between an unbelieving world and the believers. Right? We, they, we felt it back then in the story of Daniel, all of those thousands of years ago, and you would still experience this tomorrow when you go to work or to uni or in your family groups. The old believers, unbelievers. And there's a little bit of misunderstanding that I want to clarify before we finish because I think on one hand uh, over in the unbelieving world uh, the misconception is well all of those Christians they're just hypocrites <laughs> they're all hypocrites that's why the tension's there they, they just don't live how they're supposed to live they're all hypocrites that's part of the brand the other one here is for the believers that tension is oh well the world the world hates us because we're like Daniel and we're taking a stand <laughs> and I'm thinking seriously come on Don't give yourself too much kudos. I don't really know anyone that lived the life like Daniel lived. (laughs) And therefore, it can't possibly be because of these lives that the world hates us. I think when it comes down to it, uh, when believers are inexplicably different from the world because of what they're living for, then it brings a great tension as people come to consider the bigger picture. And of course... As we get to this point, we get ready to finish up a sermon like this, it would make sense that I would tell you all to go and dare to be a Daniel. (laughs) To go and dare to be a Daniel was the song that people always used to sing in Sunday school. (laughs) Dare to make it known. Dare to have a purpose firm. Dare to stand alone. That was part of the chorus, right? Dare to be a Daniel. And I think part of the challenge in all of that is that we've gotten this story so wrong over the years. 
we tend to think, well, the whole moral of this story is if you dare to be a Daniel, if you are with and for the city, if you are excellent, if you are different from the city, if you're living for something beyond yourself, then if you do all of that, then you'll get thrown in the lion's den. But at the end of the day, guess what? God's going to save you. And we've gotten that wrong. Some of you have felt that. It's why some of you have left the church. It's why some of you have left God. Because you've hit suffering and hardship in your life. And the story and the moral of all of this didn't seem to make sense. And yet we have to understand what is really going on here. What is really going on here is that when you live the life of Daniel and that brand is left behind you in the room, here's how you know that you're living like him. People will either be mad at you or people will be glad that they know you. Mad or glad. (laughs) Mad or glad. No in-between. They'll either be mad that you're going to show them up or they're going to be glad like verse 18 of Daniel chapter 6. Then the king returned to his palace and he spent the night eating and without any entertainment being brought to him and he could not sleep at the thought that this guy would get eaten by lions. People will either be mad. (laughs) We can't help that. Daniel did all of these things. people, People were mad at him because he was all of these things. And because of all of these things, people were glad that they knew Daniel. And so it meant either way that it's going to be up to where that person is at and ultimately what God is doing in our lives with that reaction. But we also see it in a character, in the true Daniel. The true Daniel that got thrown uh, to the lions, Psalm 22 says. They prowl around me like lions. We also see the true Daniel that had a stone rolled over the top of him. We also see the true Daniel that when he lived a life and a brand that was so beautiful and different from the world, people were either mad at him or that they were glad that they knew him. And when we come to understand that it's not about daring to be a Daniel, it's daring to live the way that Jesus Christ lived that we would be the sort of people that shine his light into a dark world. So I come back to the question that I've asked you at the beginning of the message, but really of all of this whole series, uh, what are people saying about you when you leave the room? Let's pray. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.